Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium here in the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Mark Vandermeer with you with John Harris. You're going to hear from D.P. Sidhu also as Johnny and D.P. After we're done with Nick Casario in our conversation, they took some questions from fans on our digital show on all the different platforms. And later on, Mike Renner, pro football focus, D.P. Sidhu catches up with him about the draft. But let's start out with the general manager, Nick Casario. And Johnny and I visited with him, and immediately I tried to convince him to do a mock draft with us, but he wasn't biting. We're going to do a mock draft here. John's going to go first. <laughs> I'll go second. You go third. That'll be the order. We did this during the season once. That was the only mock draft we can do. That was yeah. fun. And uh, you actually got some huge thumbs up on that, by the wow, way. Wow, I yeah. did. That's you surprising. Had, yeah, keep in mind, obviously, the, the Texans were gone for a few years, so there were, a, there were a lot of Cowboys fans in this area and have been here for a long time. So your pick of Roger Staubach. You played to a different crowd than you thought you were. <laughs> they loved that Roger Staubach pick. Loved it. <laughs> Went old school with it. It you was did. good. It was good. Nick, you mentioned during your press conference about 80 to 100 players, whatever the number is that are <coughs> draftable for the Houston Texans. I mean, that would mean there are a lot of guys you can't draft. And what happens with that information? You must track those players, and would they have worked out? Would they not have worked out? They might be available as free agents in the future at some point? No, that, that's a big part of it. I think really what you try to do, it's really about positioning more than anything else. And then when you take the total profile of the player – you're saying you're either comfortable with where we've graded them at that level or in the end, you know what, there's just too much. We think we're going to have better alternatives. So let's focus our time and resources on that group of players. So I'd say right, wrong, or indifferent, we're not, you know, we're maybe more inclined to eliminate players as opposed to let's put a bunch of players up there and you're trying to sort it out. You know, then you have more conviction on those players and you hope, you know, you want to make sure that you're as right as possible. So it doesn't mean you don't like the player. It just means once you've gone through from the beginning till the end, in the end, this is our feeling of the player. Okay, you know what? We're going to move him, move on from him. But to your point, Mark, I would say knowing the player and having done that work is certainly beneficial so that if he does come up at some point, whether he's on the waiver wire He's released. He's a free agent. It's all relevant information. And maybe there's things that have changed from now to two years later, three years later, four years later. So you might be eliminating him for now, but that same player, for whatever reason, you know, might show up. I'll just I'll give you an example. So going back to um, Lawrence Guy is a really good example. So Lawrence Guy came out from Arizona State, underclassman, wasn't drafted. And, you know, at the time, you know, we – I'd say didn't have a draftable grade on him either. I think we'd liked him as a free agent. So he kind of had some stops and starts at different points. He started his career at some different points, kind of bounced around a little bit. San Diego had a little bit of success, went to Baltimore, became, I'd say, one of their better players. And then we signed him in free agency, whatever year that was. And from the time that he came out to that period of time that we signed him, you're talking about a totally different player. He, you know, he had matured. He, you know, was kind of a different person, a different player, and ended up being one of our, I would say, our most consistent, most dependable players. So if you just wrote the player off because of what you thought coming out, then we wouldn't have pursued him in free agency. So I, I think that's a credit to the player and his growth and development, his maturation. And part of our responsibility is to still do our homework on a player when he is in other buildings. Let's make sure, you know what? The picture that maybe was painted initially, is that different now? Okay, you know what? In the end, he might be a fit for what we're trying to do. So that's just one illustration. But going back to your point, it does. it's really maybe for now, 
but at some point that player could come back into play. 2020, <clears throat> combine, no pro days. 2021, no combine, but pro days. This year you sort of get back to the, I'll call it the information gathering process as normal. How did you find that? Was it a little bit more refreshing, the fact that you had the combine, you had pro days, you had 30 visits, you had those opportunities, kind of like you used to have. How did that make information gathering for you, Nick, in this process? Sure, there's just more opportunities to sort of get real live information um, as opposed to doing it kind of externally. Like we all figured out a way to do it. We right. all figured out a way to gather information. But this gives you more an opportunity to, for Pro Day, as an example, to see different groups of players or to see a player maybe do something. You know what? Maybe it's a little bit better than I thought it was on tape. Maybe there was something different. Maybe his training helped him from January till March. And maybe it's something he did at the training facility. So he improved his lower body strength. He improved his speed. He improved his explosiveness. And then some of the drill work, you know, when he had the opportunity to work with a particular position coach, it was a little bit better than maybe you thought it was. And so then you just go back and say, all right, you know what, let me go, let's go back and take another look. So that's probably the biggest difference, John. Um, the other thing I think that you started to see a little bit is some players opted to not work out at their pro day. Yeah. So they work out at the combine. If they feel like they made a good showing for themselves, then the pro day was just kind of, you know, it wasn't as important for right. them. And they decide, you know what, I'm not going to work out at the pro day. And quite frankly, I don't think it's that big of a deal. So if the player chooses not to work out, maybe there's a reason for that. So you don't want to penalize for them or get disgruntled. Oh, we wouldn't work out at his pro day. With individual choice, he made a choice that he felt was best for him. No problem with that. So I think it just gave you more opportunities and more checkpoints and more touch points to maybe get at a player. How about speed, Nick? Clock speed versus the speed you're seeing on tape. Knowing the level of competition, guys playing in the SEC might be different than uh, FCS, whatever. But how do you go about evaluating that part of it? Because maybe your eyes deceived you, maybe not. How do you evaluate that? Great question. There is there's some players that time fast and play fast. They play to that speed that you you think you see or that they ran. Other players maybe time slow. Does that mean they're slow? Well, I would say one of the benefits of some of the tracking devices that are available because college is using them is you can see maybe some of their high speed running. So how many how much high-speed running they do, their miles per hour. So let's say you have a player, maybe he ran slowly at the combine. But when you see some of the tracking information, he's fast. Mm -hmm. So, okay, he didn't run a good time or something may have, maybe it's a technique issue for with his running or maybe it's his start. or It could be a myriad of different things. So that's where you just want to go back and maybe have some checks and balances in place and maybe go back and look at some previous players and maybe in a similar situation or study. So if a player's fast, he's fast. If a player maybe ran slow, he may be faster than you think, but you know, you wouldn't call him slow. So it's, it's a, it's a great point, Mark. You just have to kind of weigh out, all right, what are we really getting? But you know, fat, is he fast? Is he fast? Is he four two eight? Do you see that on tape? And there's been plenty of examples that runs four two eight. John, I'm sure you've seen this. He runs four two eight. You're like, wait a minute, I never saw that yeah. on film. So, okay, what does that mean? So mm. you just have to weigh that and just try to make a good decision and make an accurate decision. You've been in the league for a little over twenty years. Have you ever been in a situation where you've drafted three or higher? Is this the is this the highest you've ever you've ever drafted? And I'm not sure it, I'm sure it didn't change your process, but the fact that you're drafting within the first 45 minutes is a little different than what you're probably used to. Yeah, I think it just you have to evaluate essentially everybody. It's yeah. just a different pool of players that you have to evaluate. Um, I think um, in 2001, uh, I think it was 2001, I think Bill um, you know, drafted Seymour. I forgive where yeah, he yeah. went. He was the highest pick. And then uh, whatever year Mayo came out, I think we were seventh or eighth, and then we traded back to 10. Yeah. 
and then pick Mayo yeah. there. So it what it does is just you have to know essentially everybody. You have to know top to bottom. Whereas last year, I mean, there's 55, 60 players that yeah. we eliminated. This year, it's a little right. bit different. I mean, really, got to go one through you know <laughs> 150, 200, however many it is. Yeah, because I've I mean I've seen. I can't remember who it was. Maybe a Belichick. I remember walking up to maybe Bradley Chubb, and he's like, "You're a heck of a player. We have no chance of drafting you." And yeah, I think he Bradley went fourth overall. Yeah, or yeah, whatever he went fourth it was. overall, and I think you guys were down in the twenties or something at that point. Do you do that? Do you look at it? And obviously, it's different this year. But you go, "We have no chance for these guys." Do you do your homework? Because you told us you study everybody, look at everybody, but do you put that much time? Because you know they're not getting to you. No, it's a good point, John. So uh, the Chubb example is a good example because I think that year they had it was B.J. Hill. Um, it was Bradley, yep. and I want to say Contavious Street yep, might have been three. a part of that group. Yep. So I'd say the benefit of that workout is, okay, you get to see all those players work out live, and then let's take Chubb. Chubb is a really good player. He is a good player. Yep. So, okay, you know you're not going to draft that player, but all right, Chubb, his workout live, maybe relative to another player at the uh, same position who maybe you have an opportunity to draft right. later. What's the difference? Sure. Is there as big of a gap? Does Chubb do something better than that other player? So really what you're trying to do is just get a barometer, an overall understanding of the position, the player. So that was the benefit, I would say, of yeah. something like that. So even though you're not going to draft that player more than likely, but you can compare him to yeah. maybe another player at that position to see you know, what are some of the physical attributes and qualities that player possesses. Yeah. Johnny and I always talk about this, Nick. Everybody's <clears> got to get better, right? You draft a guy, he's got to get better. No matter who it is, the top prospect in the draft still has to improve. Yes. How difficult is it to judge, to determine who is more likely to put in the time or do whatever it takes to improve because they all have to get better? Sure. That, and then it goes back to the player. So the player, so take the physical skill out of it. So does he have the work ethic? Does he have the mindset? Is he intrinsically motivated to improve? Can he improve from year one to year two? Can he take a specific skill and actually make it better through study, through time with his coach, through film evaluation? Those are things. This is where the, the good players, they become great. They have to take ownership. So it's going to be about their commitment to football, their commitment to becoming a better player. It's not going to be by osmosis. So everybody runs fast. Everybody's athletic. Everybody has a certain level of skill in the NFL, which is the reason you're in the NFL, which the percentages tell you from high school all the way to the NFL, what's 1% of that player, maybe less than 1% are actually going to make in the NFL. And you So it's really about their level of commitment to becoming a better player and trying to figure out, okay, what do I need to do better? How do I need to do it? And am I committed and focused and am I intrinsically motivated enough to do it on a consistent basis year after year, you know, week after week, year after year? And if I have a bad year, all right, do I have the, I would say, the ability to bounce back from facing some adversity? I have the mindset to actually improve and realize, you know what? Okay, I need to be better. And even if you have a good year, all right, there's always things that you can do to improve and get better as a player. So how committed are you to that? You're trying to measure that as much as anything, especially at the players at the top. Like the players at the top that go, they're going because – you know, they're some of the better players in the draft, but it doesn't mean they're a physic- finished product. They got plenty of things that they can work on. You mentioned earlier about comparisons, <clears throat> and you've been around this for a long time, so you've seen guys back aways. When you're watching prospects, does it help you in any way, shape, or form to look at a player and go, man, he reminds me of, like you said, Lawrence Guy. He reminds me of Lawrence Guy, and I remember what Lawrence Guy and his career arc. Does that kind of come into play player comps from – Years prior, guys that you studied, maybe you didn't even maybe didn't even draft them, but you just saw how the career went for that player. Does that come into play as you watch these current guys? 
Yeah, I think I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to build up a library of players over time. You have to be careful when making comparison to this player is just like this player. Right, right. This player may have similar attributes to this player. Okay, what is it that makes them similar? And then you maybe look at the arc of their development or maybe something that triggered, maybe something that you know caused them to become a better player. Right. So I would say that's the benefit, but you don't necessarily say, okay, this player is just like this player, right, right. so we should draft them here. Right. You have, I mean, I would say be, you have to be careful about staying away from that. But fortunately, you have a library of players, and you kind of have a reference point. Right. So whether it's a certain position, whether it's where he maybe have been drafted, maybe the arc of his career, his level of improvement, or maybe there's certain attributes that he that player possess physically, or it could be as simple as we look at their measurables. So take a position. Okay, this player's measurables are identical to so and so. Okay, coincidence, or maybe and then they go back and say maybe there's some things in his playing style. So. I'd say those are some of the things, yeah, John, that are absolutely. somewhat relevant, but you won't, don't want to get too caught up and say, this player's like this player, right. so that means he's going to be this. That's right. where you start to run into problems. All yeah. right, one more for you, and I don't even know how to ask this, but how many prospective deals, because you have conversations with other GMs about possibilities or whatever, but there must be a lot of conversations about things that never happen, right? So how does that all go down? I mean, do you have like a list of possibilities or just keep things in mind? Because there have to be multiple options at every pick. Yeah, there's a handful of scenarios that potentially could pop up, but you don't want to kind of inundate yourself with too much information and cause yourself. I mean, I think one of the things that, that we've done that I've done here, you know, over the last few days in the next week is kind of get an idea of just talk to certain teams. Okay, what's your philosophy? Hey, look, are you willing to go to this spot? Or are you more inclined to maybe mm -hmm. move back? Do you want to have more flexibility throughout the draft? Are you looking to do anything late? And I would say, like, the New Orleans-Philadelphia uh, trade was an example of teams. They executed the trade. I think a lot of it was just for positioning. And they were do they did it before the draft to say, at least we kind of know where we're picking, where we're slotted. So I'd say we certainly would be inclined to consider that if it made sense. If not, a lot of this happens in real time. You just have to be, be able to adjust and react. And you just have to be realistic. You're really looking maybe at, call it, six to eight teams around you Either way, you know, you don't want to get too inundated and kind of look at every scenario. So you have to be smart about how you how you evaluate that information. I know things are flying fast and furious in that 15 or 10 minutes when you're on the phone. Have have you ever had a situation where you've talked to a team that you, you thought it was the Cardinals and it actually was the 49ers <laughs> as you're making a deal? Like, hey, Jimmy. No, this isn't Jimmy. This is Billy. Have you ever had a situation like that? Does that yeah, happen? Yeah, it can get hectic if you yeah. have like three trade scenarios that yeah. you're looking at and you're trying to get back to the team <laughs> and you think you're calling one team. I mean, I think we, we've come down to the wire two even where the clock almost struck zero. Yeah. And because the Ooh. trade, the way the trades work, you really don't have a trade until – both sides communicate right. that to the league. Right. So, and you have to do within the time frame to make sure that the trade actually goes through. So, I mean, we've been on the clock with three minutes and you're on the phone with the other team. Okay, we're good. All right, I'm going to call the league. Okay, then it's two minutes. All right, the league's saying, hey, we got to wait to hear from the other teams. You're not even on the clock. So, you, I mean, again, that's why you try to have to maintain as much, just take the emotion yeah. out of it and just, you know, understand there's, you know, pressure and a timing element. But ultimately, you just get it executed, try to maintain cooler heads and then pick the player and then move on. Coffee? You're going to have coffee that night? I'll have or? a little bit of coffee. <laughs> okay, good, good. I will too. Nick, thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, there's General Manager Nick Casario. Don't go away. Right now, we're going to go right to questions from fans at our digital TV show. This is audio from that. That's good stuff. The lighter side of Nick as John Harris and D.B. Sidhu 
asked him questions from fans, and it was kind of fun after a long press conference about the draft this week. Lucas wants to know a very important question. Yes. Where is your vest? Johnny and I are wondering the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. telling you, I can't win. We have, I know that my vests are a hot topic of discussion. Um, admittedly, I can't believe I'm admitting this. I think I have like 15 <laughs> or 16, so, but I didn't wear one here today. So I'm sorry if I let anybody down. <laughs> so damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I'll make sure maybe to incorporate one over draft weekend. Hopefully, okay. maybe, we'll see. I, I, grab, I, grab my, I grabbed mine in the closet to wear it and I went, oh, wait, not today. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't. All right. Uh, this one comes from Kevin. Nick, what did you learn from last year's draft? I think regardless of how many picks you may or may not have, it's just try to capitalize and just make good decisions, you know, for the organization. And, you know, I think we try to do that to the best of our ability. I think what's important when you're drafting players is just not to have unreasonable expectations. Try to simplify it for the player they have enough to learn and they have enough on their shoulders when they walk in the building. So just try to make sure that we're identifying the things that are important for us, the type of people that we want to have in the building and just maximize our opportunities. And really ultimately when they come in the building, it's sort of out of our hands to a degree. It's up to the player, it's up to the staff. And I'd say really a credit to the coaches last season and to the players, because I think you saw growth and development from the beginning until the end of the season, really, and all five players, and I think they were able to capitalize on the opportunities they had in front of them. So, you know, hopefully we can have some modicum of success here next week as well um, and just continually build and continually press forward. I mean, you've covered a lot of drafts in your time in the NFL, but this is your second draft as general manager. Is it? Does it feel a lot different than it did last year? I mean, the situation is seems completely different than it was a year ago. Yeah, it's a fair question. You try not to get too caught up in it. I think you just try to stay consistent to your process, stay consistent to the things that you feel are important. And just, we talked about a little bit of this in the press conference, try to have as thorough an understanding of as many players and the board as possible so that you can make good decisions. You're making decisions in real time and you don't know when those decisions are going to take place. Once you pick a player with, let's just take the third pick. So, okay, there's two players that are going to get picked before us, whomever they are. We hopefully are going to get a decent player at pick three. So that pool of players is, I would say a little bit smaller than some of the other players as you move throughout the draft. So, it's just being prepared, trusting your information. Try not to overanalyze it and try not to overcomplicate it and just try to stay consistent all the way through, regardless if it's pick three or if it's pick 243 or 205 or wherever those some of those late picks are. All right, let's get to another fan question. This is from Dominic and Ailey from over in my hood. What do you think about our running back room? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting combination, um, I would say, of kind of youth and experience. Um, you know, other than really Rex, in terms of players that really made a contribution last season, you know, a lot of those players didn't really have too many snaps, at least for the Houston Texans. So, you know, Scotty, unfortunately, was limited last year, was injured, but, you know, he showed some things in the preseason. Marlon's been a productive player um, at different points, so he has an opportunity here in front of him. Uh, Dare's been, I'd say, a pretty consistent player in Jacksonville. He's had a good role in the kicking game. Um, you know, Royce, you know, had small opportunities, limited opportunities last year, but, you know, there's really not a whole dearth of opportunities. But I would say it's a, it's a group that they all have varying degrees of experience playing. Um, and even Jed Anderson, who kind of came to us late in the offseason, uh, excuse me, during the season last year in the practice squad, 
he's made a lot of progress, I'd say, in terms of his strength and development from January till now. So it's an interesting group. I think once we get on the field a little bit, it will start to crystallize a little bit more. So, you know, if there's an opportunity for us to add to that group, we will. If there's not, you know, I think we'd be able to go out there and, and be able to function with the group that we have here in the building. All right, Maria wants to know, what excites you about a Pep Hamilton offense? Yeah, I think Pep's had a lot of success through the the years being able to run the football um, and being able to get the quarterbacks to, to play well. So um, I think the biggest thing probably for our group is just going to be some of the terminology and just how we call plays and some of those types of things. So, um, But Pep's a good coach. He's a lot of experience. He's had a lot of, I would say, good experiences with the quarterback position. He really f teaches that position, the details and the mechanics of it. Now to be able to project that over the entire group. But I think, you know, we want to be able to run the football. We want to be able to play physical. So I think those are some things that we're going to try to emphasize. And it's a collective effort. It's not going to be just about the offensive line. It's not going to be about the tight ends and running backs. It's all Everybody's going to be involved, even the receivers to some degree. So I think Pep's, Pep's excited about the opportunity. I think the one thing you notice is just the way he works with the staff. Um, it's really kind of cool. I mean, it's a very collaborative effort. He respects the coaches. A lot of those coaches have worked with him. He trusts them. They trust him in turn. So that carries a lot of weight. And then, you know, when you transfer that to the players, the players see that. So ultimately, it's about results. And offense is being able to move the football and score points. So, I mean, ultimately, that's going to be the most important thing for us. Have you improved your mechanics on our pep? I haven't thrown that much yeah. in the spring. <laughs> you need to work so. on that. You got OTAs coming you up. Got, you got, you yeah. better get the wing loose. Uh, this is from Joey downtown. Very simply put, who are you going to draft? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a good question. We got this question more than yeah, any other. I think we yeah. probably I'm wait. sure you're not Joey's surprised. one of many asking yeah. this question. I, you know, it's a fair question. I think we, you know, we'll know here, you know, in another week or so. But I think, you know, we have a list of players that we feel comfortable drafting at, at number three. Um, and I think, you know, assuming we pick there, which I think there's a good chance we're going to. So just try to get, you know, a good player that we think is going to come in here and help our team. It's not about, you know, one player is not going to solve our problems. It's just stacking them up as we go. So, um, you know, we've had an opportunity to evaluate a lot of a lot of players. We've had a lot of dialogue and discussions internally with the staff, with the scouting staff, with the coaching staff. And I think we've kind of narrowed down that pool of players who we feel comfortable with. So ultimately, we're going to have to make a decision, and we'll pick a player, and then we're going to move. You know, we're going to move forward. All right, we're ex excited to see who those players might be, and we don't really have to wait too much longer in one week. <laughs> All right, there's some stuff from our digital TV show that we ran around the press conference that Nick Casario did this week regarding the NFL draft. Of course, it's April 28th, Miller Outdoor Theater. We're going to be out there live broadcasting on radio. We'll be doing a pre-show on digital television. Of course, you can follow the draft on NFL Network as well and on all the Texans' social media, digital media platforms. And that digital TV show we did around the press conference, a lot of fun. We're going to be doing a whole lot more of that this coming season. You can get it on all the streaming platforms. I'm kidding about that. You can get it on Twitter, Facebook. You can get it on HoustonTexans.com and the Texans app and YouTube Live. Is that enough for you? My gosh, how many streaming services do you have at home? I've got way too many already. I finally started watching Ted Lasso because I gave in and got Apple TV. I mean, I had everything else, and I had other shows to catch up on. Priorities. Speaking of priorities, Every team has a priority to get their act together before Thursday's start of the NFL draft. And to analyze things further, Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus, interesting guy. He joins us next as D.P. Sidhu sits down with him, and it's happening right here on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening on your way home or wherever you are going this Friday night, Texans Radio 
It is a wonderful time of year with the NFL Draft coming up in less than a week. One week from tonight, we'll be picking. At this point, we will be in to the second round of the draft. The Texans will have more players. Of course, they're starting Thursday night. You know the rest of the story. Picks 3 and 13. Nick Casario pretty clear during his press conference this week that eh, it looks like they're going to pick at 3. That there won't be a trade at 3. Or is that a smoke screen? Look, you never know until you know, right? And then at 13, I guess... Anything could happen. I think anything could happen at any time anyway. There's not a lot of certainty with the top overall pick. Uh, even with the Texans back when they've had the top overall pick. Look, year one, it was obvious it was going to be David Carr. When they had the top overall pick in 2006, it was obvious it was going to be Reggie Bush. But wait a minute, they picked Mario Williams. And we did not know that until Friday night before round one. In 2014, when they had the top overall pick, it was Jadeveon Clowney, and we pretty much assumed it was going to be, although you never know. Somebody might have tried to tr- uh, tried to trade up, and nobody did that we know about. Nobody did successfully, obviously. But remember, Blake Bortles went third in that draft, and I wrote about this this week, that there were mocks out there, and this is fun, by the way. You want to have some entertainment this weekend? Google mock drafts of years gone by. If you just Google, pick a year, 2017 mock draft, and several of them will come up, and they are intact, and you can see how wrong people were about certain things. Like in 2014, I saw a mock that had Teddy Bridgewater drafted by the Jaguars at three. Right after him, Johnny Manziel went to the Browns at four. We all know the Browns took Manziel later. It didn't work out. And obviously, Bortles had a little bit of success with the Jaguars, but you can hardly call that a success, that selection of Bortles at number three overall. And the mock drafts of years gone by just peppered with entertaining selections. And boy, it's a good talk radio cheat sheet because you could talk about what might have been. I think Sean Pendergast has to get all over this. All right, let's get into this now. Now, John Harris is not on this segment, and it's a good thing because we have another draft analyst on. I feel kind of dirty, okay? We're inviting somebody else into the house to analyze the draft. We've got one of the best experts in the country in Johnny, but it's always good to get another perspective, right? It's like a second opinion on a medical issue. Boy, I feel worse even describing it that way. Sorry, Johnny. Anyway, DP City caught up with Mike Renner, who is the draft analyst for Pro Football Focus. So this is a guy who has studied a lot, knows a lot. Let's hear what he has to say about this draft as D.P. Sidhu catches up with him in the deep slant. Mike, welcome in. I haven't talked to you in a few years, but I'm sure this is probably your favorite time of year. Oh, yeah, for sure. April is my month. From pretty much the start to the end, I am watching draft prospects, following this stuff, and there's nothing else I'd rather be doing. I think for draft analysts like yourself, the draft weekend is probably like the Super Bowl, Christmas, and your birthday all wrapped <laughs> into one in a three-day period. So how, how do you consume the draft? Where are you watching it? And how are you sort of following along and seeing where all these picks land? Well, it's tough because we do a live show. And so you kind of want to have a reaction. Like you see a pick and you want to have a reaction, but you also want to be professional. You don't, You can't just like trash these guys and say, wow, that was an awful selection by them. So We have a live show that we'll be doing the three days here at PFF. All right. So the Texans have 11 picks in this year's draft, which seems like a cornucopia of picks considering what they've had the last few years. 
what are your overall impressions of this year's draft class? Like, what have you thought about the prospects and the talent level and how it's sort of distributed? I think it's a deep class. I don't think there's a lot of elite players, though. So at number three overall, where they're selecting, they may not be getting a slam dunk home run surefire thing like we've seen, you know, like a Joey Bosa who goes number three overall. Like, we, they may not be getting a player like that in this draft. But once you get to the second round, into the third round, you may be getting guys who other years had first round grades. In the third round, other years had second round grades. So I do think it's deep in that regard, but just doesn't have the elite players at the top that maybe we've seen in years past. All right. That's interesting that you say that. You yourself have Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan as the number one prospect overall. What makes him the top prospect? And should he fall to number three? Is that a guy that you would lean in and draft? Oh, yeah. I'd run in the car for Aiden Hutchinson, and I think the Jaguars would be crazy to pass on Aiden Hutchinson, despite the fact that maybe, you know, they've drafted two defensive ends in the past three years. So in the first round, but he's that good because one on the football field, no one could touch him. I mean, if you watched him at all this past season, every single game he dominated snap to snap one to the last snap of the game, he brings it. And two, he has that sort of mentality that you want when you're drafting a guy towards the top of the draft. Like he doesn't drink, doesn't drink caffeine. He's a guy who is from, you know, from the day one till the last day he leaves your building, he is going to set the tone, going to be a leader for you. And then he's a heck of an athlete. I think he's gotten underrated in that regard. His three cone, uh, six, seven, four, three cone is insane for a guy that size, almost identical to Von Miller. And he's got 25 pounds on Von Miller coming out. So he is one heck of an athlete off the edge to where, He's just a very safe pick. You know, at the top of the draft, you don't want to whiff. You don't want a guy that's the bust that you're going to be talking about 20 years later on a show, talking about all-time busts. You want a guy that's going to make an impact on your football team. And to me, that's Aiden Hutchinson. All right. So if we just look at positions, when you've got two picks in the first round, like the Texans do, which I don't, I mean, since I've worked for the Texans, they've never had that. Usually they don't have a first round pick. So you've got three and you've got 13. What's your strategy position-wise? I mean, if it's deep in pass rushers or edge rushers, is that a position you wait on? Or is that a position that's really elite at the top? I mean, walk me through the three and 13 picks, like how, how you attack it based on position. So for the Texans, they're in a sort of with a roster where they need to attack valuable positions, you know, offensive tackle, wide receiver, defensive end, obviously quarterback. That's probably off the table this year with what they saw from Davis Mills last year, but like positions where if you draft them, you're paying them less than what you'd be paying free agents. So in this year's class, looking at positions like that, and that's why I said, I think they should attack because they just don't have, you know, a ton of talent on that roster. You wouldn't be drafting them three overall. If you did is offensive tackle, it is top heavy. There are about three or four guys that you want as top 10 picks. And then there probably aren't any of the rest of the draft. So if I'm drafting for the Texans number three overall, I'm looking offensive tackle because it's a position that pretty much everyone in the NFL needs, and there's just not a lot of them in this draft, but there are some good ones towards the top. So I'm looking offensive tackle early with that number three overall pick, because then you can wait on that pass rusher, wait on that wide receiver if that's where you want to go to pick number 13, because those are a little bit deeper positions. The difference between someone like Kayvon Thibodeau or Trayvon Walker, who may go in the top five, and someone like Jermaine Johnson, the Florida State edge rusher, who may go more in the teens, isn't that big, in my opinion. So you can wait on that position to pick 13, because I think edge is the deepest position in the draft class. So I'd lean offensive tackle pick three, someone like Iki Aquanu, Evan Neal, and then once pick 13 rolls around, that's when the wide receiver class, maybe someone like Jamison Williams out of Alabama, that's when that starts to become more attractive, or the edge class where, like I said, Jermaine Johnson, 
uh, George Karloft is from Purdue. There's names there that could be productive as, and will go in the middle of the first round. All right. You mentioned Davis Mills. So that's one position that the Texans, they probably don't need to address it in the first round, but what about the teams that do need to address quarterback with that first round pick? I mean, we saw the saints and the Eagles already making some moves to sort of get some draft capital. Do you see a team that really needs to move up and take that number three spot? Who, who might be a player that's worth doing that for? I think if anyone's moving up and making a big play in this draft class, it's for someone like Malik Willis out of Liberty. And it's because of what he could be. And you've looked at the quarterback position around the NFL. It's not the guys who can play adequately. It's not the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world, the Andy Daltons of the world that are getting big money that are leading these teams to the playoffs. They're leading to consistent year on year success. It is the guys who can turn an offense into an elite offense all by themselves that have the tools, the physical ability to open up the playbook for offensive coordinators in the NFL today. And that's Malik Willis. He has the strongest arm of anyone in this draft class. He's the best runner of anyone in this draft class. And he will, when he hits the ground from day one in the NFL, be a tier one in terms of arm strength and in terms of rushing ability, right up there with guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson in terms of what he can bring on the ground. So that's what teams are chasing at that position. So if you're asking about a team that's going to like the Saints, maybe give up two first rounders to you to move up to number three overall, it's going to be for a guy like that. It's not going to be, in my opinion, for a guy like Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh, who's not that tool, but just plays the quarterback position very well. Is very skilled. I think those guys are getting devalued in the draft, as we even saw last year with Mac Jones, who went to 15 overall, four guys drafted ahead of him. And he comes to the NFL, obviously plays well, but I think teams are still chasing that higher end when giving up that sort of draft capital. So that's a guy, if someone is going to trade for number three overall pick, that I think it would be. All right. Texans fans are really intrigued by the running back position. The Texans have struggled to run the ball in recent years, and they really don't have any running backs on the roster. They re-signed Rex Burkhead at the end of the season. They've got a few young guys, but Levy Smith has talked about wanting a three down back, which is maybe a luxury the Texans haven't had in recent years. They've done running back by committee. So with that being said, what is a good pick for the Texans? When might be around that they target running back? Should they do so? And, and who are some of the guys that you think might be a good fit? With that roster, as it stands right now, how kind of far away they are in terms of just competing and being in play in the AFC. I'm not really going to advocate for drafting a running back in this class before like the fourth round, just because you can find starters at other positions. You need to fill out that roster and running back, as we've seen across the NFL, just all too often when you draft them, they're not making it to their second contract. They're not making it past four or five years in the NFL with their usefulness. So not the greatest year to draft the running back position. In my opinion, there's two actual three down running backs in this class and Kenneth Walker from Michigan state, Brees Hall from Iowa state. I expect both of those guys to be off the board by probably pick 50, probably somewhere uh, at least aren't going to make it out of the second round. So at that point, I don't think you're finding your three down back in this class. It would be difficult to do so, uh, what I would do is probably take a chance fourth, fifth round on a couple guys who have the athletic tools, but may not necessarily be um, polished products coming out. Some of the guys I'd highlighted in that mold are Rashad White from Arizona State, who was a JUCO transfer, really just hasn't played too much football, but is electric with the ball in his hands and one of the best testers athletically in this draft class. And then Zaquandre White from South Carolina, who was a backup there for them, but was a former top recruit, a heck of an athlete, tested out really well at the combine, but never really got to see the football field. Those are two guys to where if you're going to look for that mold, you could probably find them in the later rounds. All right, Mike, it's the million dollar question. You're Nick Casario. You've got the number three, you've got the number 13 pick. 
who are you selecting or what are you doing with those picks? And I'm giving you the option of trades as well. What are you, what are you doing at number three and number 13 in this year's draft? It's a tough one because like I said, I, I don't love the top end talent in this draft class. I, I don't think pick three versus pick 15 is anywhere close to the difference is what we saw last year. So if the New Orleans Saints with what they just did made that move, if they're willing to give up pick 16, and 19, and also throw in some more draft capital my way. I'm looking to trade down from that number three overall pick. This is a roster where, you know, one offensive tackle, one edge rusher isn't putting me over the hump. It isn't putting me over the edge here. I need a lot of pass rushers. I need a lot of offensive line help. So I'm looking to trade down with that number three overall pick. Still, like I said, collect valuable positions. But if I can get two more first rounders, maybe a second and a fourth or something like that, I'm making that trade every day because with the state of this roster, I need to build every single position. So the more picks, the more you can address positions. All right. Good stuff. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus. You can follow him on Twitter and read all of his work at Pro Football Focus. And PFF is also launching a four episode podcast series with number one overall projected pick, Aiden Hutchinson. It's titled Hutch. Be sure to download and subscribe. Mike, appreciate the time. Love seeing your work and uh, excited to see where these picks shake out. Oh, me too. Thanks for having me on. There's Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus with D.B. Sidhu in the Deep Slant interview. And if you run into John Harris, don't tell him we had Mike Renner on. All right, just leave it out of the conversation and I'll make it up to him later. Coming up. A little bit of around-the-league stuff, including but not limited to Christmas Day. I thought that belonged to the NBA. Well, not this year. We'll go over that a little bit. And some in the media are looking at the draft, talking about free market, and suggesting chaos. I'll address that. It's happening next here on Texans All Access. Final thoughts before we head into the weekend here on Texans Radio as the NFL will come out with a triple header on Christmas Day. Christmas Day is a Sunday this year, so that means Christmas Eve being a Saturday, you would think, well, are you going to play all the games on Christmas Day because it's a Sunday? No, they're going to play the bulk of the games on Christmas Eve Saturday and then on Sunday do a triple header. Now, for those of you freaking out about the Christmas Day schedule, I think the Christmas Eve schedule, as far as holiday tradition, impacts things a greater deal. Unless you are on the road. You're one of those crews on the road on Christmas Day. Otherwise, you get home late Christmas Eve night and then open the presents in the morning on three hours sleep or wherever you're coming in from, however many hours of sleep you're able to get from that trip. But as far as the fan, as far as the viewing experience uh, Christmas Eve, look, there's a lot that goes on Christmas Eve, right? That's a pretty busy night with the fam. And Christmas morning, okay, that's wide open. There's not a whole lot of TV viewing going on on Christmas morning. And by Christmas Day afternoon, look, movies are premiering on Christmas Day. People have kind of had it by then. I need to get away from the relatives at that point. I didn't say that on the radio, did I? But I think a lot of people feel that way, and that's why movies are opening up on Christmas Day traditionally, and some restaurants pop open depending on what they are. I think the NFL will do very well with a triple header on Christmas Day. It's funny because in the building here at NRG Stadium, you get a lot of people who work these games, and they're saying, well, 
be nice if we're on the road that weekend because a lot of people won't have to do anything except watch the game uh, that's on television for them. You know, those of us who travel are kind of hoping for a friendly holiday situation. But I always whip out the quote from one of my favorite movie characters ever, Hyman Roth from Godfather Part Two, when he tells Michael Corleone, this is the business we've chosen. Look, that's what I'm in. We're in the entertainment business. We're expected to be playing on holidays and times when other people are at home cozying up. I love it. I love my job. I love what I do, and I'll never, ever complain about it. It is wonderful. All right, a couple of other things. Draft going up Thursday in case you've been in a coma. That'll be at Miller Outdoor Theater. First pick. Shortly after 7 o'clock, Texans will pick sometime between 7.20 and 7.40. But information on the draft party can be gotten, can be had, by logging on to HoustonTexans.com or going to the Texans app. If you have anything specific, hit me up personally on one of my social media platforms, and I'll be sure not to answer your question. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do my best to answer your question, and we'll see how many people show up to the draft party. I think it's going to be quite a lot. I mean, I'm not thinking Woodstock here, okay? I don't think we're going to have a Yazgur's Farm kind of crowd, but it'll be a lot of people at that Miller Outdoor Theater. Thousands of people watching the draft, seeing the entertainment that the Texans crew puts together for you that night. We'll be doing the radio coverage uh, from a stage right next to the theater, the theater building. It's stage right. You'll see us in the concession area. You can't miss us, but I think that a lot of people will be walking around exploring, and we're looking forward to seeing all the fans out there, all our friends, because we haven't been out much, right? We haven't been doing radio out much, not a whole ton of events yet. A little bit here, a little bit there, but as we all get back to, quote, normal, is there ever going to be such a thing again? Uh, we'll see more and more of each other, and I really do like that. One item involving the draft, and this was kind of floating around through PFT and other media channels and people talking about people in the media, talking about, well, in a free market world, should we even have a draft, right? Should you even have a draft? Shouldn't the college kids be able to pick where they want to work as long as that employer is willing to sign them? And this also came up because of the Debo Samuel story where Chris Sims said, hey, some of this might be Samuel not wanting to live in California. That's why he wants to be traded. Look, as long as there's a salary cap, it couldn't get that crazy, but it could get really crazy. It could get really crazy. Total free market, no draft. Every college athlete coming out as a free agent. Wow. Can you imagine? Twitter's going to explode. Elon Musk is going to need some new technology if he buys it uh, to house all the reaction going on if there was that kind of college free agency with the top prospects. But you cannot ever get rid of the salary cap in the NFL. This is what makes the league competitive. This is why the Green Bay Packers can be a success. This is why so many teams have a shot who have been down and want to fight their way back. It's because of the salary cap. But I think the draft is a huge reason as well. The teams with the poorer records get to draft first. I know it doesn't always work out, but very often it does. You get great prospects, and you see how it plays out. All right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you, Mike Renner, for being on. D.P. Sidhu, John Harris, Nick Casario, of course. Thank you very much, Robert Harris, for producing. These shows are up on the Texans app and HoustonTexans.com. Have a great weekend, everyone, and go Texans!